on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 11th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2016, Katie Lambeski has all the interviews from the big announcement at the MCG when eight licenses were awarded for the Women's National League to kick off next year. We analyse the successful bidders with Emma Race on the Outer Sanctum podcast. And we get overseas reaction from Brian Barish of the USAFL and Sarah Ongarello at AFL Europe. Plus, we talk about the recent AFL Canada Nationals with Hilary Perry. All that and more on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the 11th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2016. Our 45th podcast overall and what an amazing 24 hours it's been since the She Begins hashtag went up early on Wednesday morning, June 15th. The ball got rolling. People got excited. People got crazy. Then the uh, teams that were going to be taking part in next year's competition started to be leaked by some of the media at 10 a.m. in the morning. And it was all made official by 11 a.m. with an announcement at the MCG that eight teams will compete in the inaugural Women's National League and they will be the Brisbane Lions, Adelaide Crows, GWS Giants, Fremantle Dockers, Collingwood Magpies, Carlton Blues, Melbourne Demons and Western Bulldogs. The five clubs that did bid but missed out but have been given provisional licences to join at some stage down the road are the Geelong Cats, the North Melbourne Kangaroos, Richmond Tigers, St Kilda Saints and West Coast Eagles. Plenty of interviews to get through, some that I've conducted, some that Katie Limbeski conducted at the MCG. But first of all, we're going to take you to this uh, press conference that uh, Katie Limbeski attended there at the G. Simon Lethleen is the voice that you're going to hear first as he explains a little bit about the competition. And then the general media were chatting with Daisy Pierce and Taylor Harris, who are going to be the first two marquee players in this uh, new competition. Let's take you to that press conference. I'll give you a bit of outline. Over the next couple of weeks, um, the AFL will set out the marquee player process for each of the clubs. There'll be two marquee players for clubs, and obviously Daisy and Taylor are very much in line for that. And then for from there will be a draft of other player talent. Competition will run six matches next year with um, finals amongst the top four, but other than that, we'll hand over, obviously, as two of our leading players for any questions that you have. Well, Daisy, it's a very simple question. Did you ever think you'd see this day? I didn't, know, not until recently, and since then I've been really excited about it. What does it mean to you? Oh, it's, it's a great for me personally to have the opportunity to play elite sport out on a elite arena and in a professional environment but more so to look around today and see those little girls who will grow up knowing that that's something they can achieve is amazing. Josie, how do you think you'll go um, given the games are in February? It's going to be pretty warm. Yeah, it will be pretty warm, but we we would normally be in um, pre-season training at that time of the year anyway, so um, the, the weather itself probably won't bother us too much, and I think the quarters might be a, a tad shorter for that reason, but I mean, the quick turnaround might be a bit tricky because our uh, state league season finishes in at the end of September, so it's going to be a quick turnaround to playing games again in February, but uh, look forward to it. I wouldn't miss it for the world. 
It must be pretty rapt to be part of such a historic time for, for Aussie books. Oh, that's an understatement, I think. It, I mean, I sort of have to take myself out of the bubble that has been this amazing revolution over the last 18 months and, and realise how massive this is because I work here at Melbourne Footy Club and obviously play footy every weekend, so sometimes it's you have to take yourself out and reflect on how enormous this is. And I mean, it's the biggest code and biggest sporting body in, in the country and certainly here in Melbourne it's a big fabric of the culture of Melbourne so you know for to now have the opportunity to play that sport means a lot to, to us girls. Happy about the eight team competition? Yeah I always felt eight was a, a good number and probably in the first instance um, better than maybe ten. Um, I mean it sounds like all the other other clubs that missed out, the five clubs that missed out put in really great applications so hopefully their appetite is um, sustained because next year is a really good product and, and in the year to come, they'll join us, no doubt. Has Melbourne got you locked away? <laughs> Not yet. Uh, there hasn't been any player signings yet, so uh, I'm sure we'll find we'll work that out over the next few weeks, but it'll be, it'll be hard to get me to play anywhere else. And Taylor, do you now yeah, I think that's a really important role for myself and all of the players because they're all going to be role models. So we've got an obligation to really show that we love this game so much and we're here and we're going to take all, um, put all, all into playing this inaugural season. So I'm excited to be able to be a role model. I think that's really important. Daisy, do you think it'll change how women are seen in our I think definitely, yeah. We, we've seen on so many issues that sport is such a powerful vehicle for that kind of change. So um, I think to see women out there playing a really physical sport and at our most powerful, I think will be um, yeah, pretty changing across all of society, not just in the industry of AFL footy. Is support going to be great enough that women won't have to worry about that job anymore? It won't just be footy something to play on the weekend? Uh, I think given the short competition in the first instance, most of us will still have to work. I mean, the, from what I've heard, the, the pay structure will be commensurate with other um, elite sports for the amount of time that we'll be playing. So um, certainly it'll be a nice little bonus on top of our day jobs. But I think most girls will still, at the, at the moment, have to work jobs throughout the remainder of the year. Will you be pushing for it to go further? I mean, would you just like to be a footy player and that's it? Oh, naturally. That's what I'd love to be. I mean, I'm pretty lucky. I, I work here at Melbourne, so if it is that I end up playing here, hopefully I can, you know, balance it and, and the club certainly looks after me and my playing commitments. And I think we'll see more and more of that because the beauty of a lot of these girls that do play, they, they have other skills and they've studied at university, so they'll come into these clubs with um, real skills that they can offer off the field as well. So hopefully we see more and more of that where and we have seen it at Collingwood and Carlton where football players, the, the, the female players might be able to have roles within the administration or the football department as well. So to package those two together, their, their whole career will be at the footy club. And that was the press conference that happened after the winning teams were announced at the MCG. Now we're about to bring you a bunch of interviews done by girlsplayfooty.com co-founder Katie Lembeski at the MCG. Uh, shortly you'll hear an interview with the Susan Alberti, who certainly needs no introduction. But first of all, Katie caught up with Darabin star forward Darcy Vessio and got her initial reaction to the announcement. Just taking you back to 2013, we were in this same ground and we were around this we went for the draft of the first ever women's game. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to now, 2016, and 
is are you surprised by how quick this has all happened? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it it just keeps things just keep moving so quickly in women's footy, and um, I think there's been a massive build up to this day, um, and just the fact that it's it's all been announced and everything's out in the open, and we can start talking about the next steps is amazing. Yeah. Um, obviously, the Western Bulldogs obviously getting the license today. Um, is that your goal to be a Western a Western Bulldog when round one comes along next year? Look, I'd love to don the uh, Western Bulldogs colours, um, but yeah, there are other Victorian clubs who have also got licences too, so it's just going to be a, a matter of seeing what's going to be the best option and, and what the clubs have to offer and everything like that. Sure. I know, I think Bulldogs in Melbourne know that they're going to lose players and, and they're going to be able to keep players as well, but um, yeah, I've just, I don't know what lies ahead for me, but yeah, it's exciting. Sure. Over the last few months, we've seen a lot of clubs well, build to this day by coming out and saying we want the license and 13 clubs came out and really chased hard for licenses. Mm-hmm. Um, how significant was that in getting in leading to this day? Yeah, I think everyone was surprised at how many clubs said that they do want a license. I think um, at the beginning everyone would have thought that not that many clubs would be interested but it's sort of just been a whirlwind and all these clubs putting their hands up and, and putting in strong applications as well. Um, but yeah, it's just a yeah, I guess just to see what happens will be amazing, yeah. Um, are you happy with the amount of teams chosen? Eight? Oh, there's obviously been talk of six, there's obviously been talk of ten, but they've obviously met in the middle ground. Are you happy yeah. with the amount of teams chosen? Yeah, well, I think uh, the AFL really wanted to make it a, a national competition, so I think yeah. eight really helped them achieve that. Um, I think there were concerns around ten, sort of spreading the talent too, too thinly, um, and six would have been a really um, high standard competition but perhaps that national um, part of the criteria wouldn't have been met. So I think they've found a really good way to compromise and, and I think it'll be wonderful with eight, yeah. Um, obviously playing, it will be played in the summer months, are there any concerns over that in terms of the extreme heat or can the, can the players manage, obviously coming off a September, at the end of a September season, do you reckon players are well equipped to manage that? Um, yeah, I guess it'll be really interesting to see how different players can cope with the load and and even just being part of an AFL club and training more it's going to be really um, tough on the body but I think hopefully the AFL and the clubs will will put our um, I guess they'll they'll make it a priority to make sure we're okay for the conditions and yeah we'll just have to wait and see. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously with eight teams, I, I can honestly see a lot of room to grow very quickly and for mm-hmm. this to, for obviously to become one day an 18-team competition. Yeah, yeah. Do you see that as well? Yeah, for sure. I think the fact that 13 teams put in licences, five teams are very disappointed at the moment, um, but all of them have plans for women's footy and yep. the AFL will hold them accountable to keep growing women's footy in their own club, um, even if they're not fielding the team. So. Obviously part of the committee to um, obviously to decide all this and lead to this day. Yeah. How, how has that experience been for you? Um, yeah, it's been pretty, like something I haven't really done before. So I've been loving just learning from, um, you know, the likes of Michelle Cowan and Simone Wilkie. And um, I, I've gotten to spend a bit of time with Debbie Lee. So it's, yeah, it's been great just um, being able to be in that professional environment and sit around the board table and, and just put your ideas forward. Um, yeah, I'm really thankful to have that experience and yeah, it was, it's, yeah, I guess it's thrilling to know that you're part of the process as well. Uh, what will uh, round one in 2017 mean to you? 
Um, oh, oh it'll be, it's just going to be a dream come true. Like, really, growing up, you're, so many girls want to play and then they get told they can't. And, um, yeah, for so many girls, it's a yes moment. And, and you know, the little Oz kickers here today, they've got a pathway all the way up to the top. So, yeah, it's, I can't really articulate it very well, but it's, it's awesome. It's unreal. Yeah. Um, I can tell just how proud you are. Is it, how does that sit with you being a role model for these girls? They, they get to watch you play and they mm. can now look to you and say, I can be Darcy Vestia. How does that, uh, how does that sit with you? Um, oh, it's pretty, it's very special and I feel yeah. like it's, it's an honour and it's a privilege. Um, and yeah, I feel like it's something that I'll grow into perhaps. It's sort of still um, very early days and I'm just still working on my footy but yeah I guess as things move on um, we'll all sort of fill bigger shoes as time goes on yeah. Girls play footy live here with Susan Alberti at the MCG um, just your thoughts on an absolutely massive day for women's footy what does it mean to you given your support of, uh, of the women's game over the years? Well I've waited 55 years for this day when I was 15 I had to hang up my boots and to see this and hear this and it's hard to believe that all our young women who want to play and aspire to play this great game, I've got this opportunity. And um, yeah, sure. Um, obviously, being a part of the game for a long time, do you think they've gotten... Do, do you believe the AFL all in all have gotten this right? Oh, look, the AFL wouldn't invest the way they are if they didn't believe this was the right thing to do. And, and you've got to give full credit to the AFL and Gillen and Mike in supporting this and bringing it forward by three years. I mean, that in itself is just fantastic to, to actually bring it forward. Obviously you, obviously, you mentioned the leadership, the ambition shown by some of the, the, the top brass. Um, how, just how big an influence was that on getting this done? Well, I think Gillen is a breath of fresh air. He was listening. He could see um, the potential uh, with, in supporting AFL football with women. And, uh, but we've got so many women playing it. I mean, they can't stop it. It is a revolution. I mean, we've got over, what, 320,000 young women playing the game. It's a no-brainer. You can't stop it. Um, do you feel eight teams is the right call? There's also been a lot, of, a lot of talk over the months. Is this the right call? My personal view is yes, um, because we want to have the good talent. We don't want to have people getting smashed on the field. We want to spread the talent, and then we'll slowly bring all the other teams in. The others have got concessional licences, and slowly, slowly they'll come into the competition as well. So we'll have a complete competition. But we've got to be smart about this. We've got to do it well. I think Let's it, get it right. Yeah, for sure. I think a huge message out of today is that there's definitely room to grow. Obviously, eight teams today, but do you foresee uh, the time where there will be an 18-team women's oh, competition? there's no doubt about it. We'll have an 18 uh, teams. Uh, we've just got to do it slowly and do it smart. I mean, we're just starting. Yep. Let's get it right. When we get it right, then we'll bring all the others in. With that being said, do you think there's an opportunity to move into the winter months as well obviously being part of the summer competition yes, now do yes. you think that it's the next step is playing in the winter months yes. extending the season definitely that'll all happen that'll evolve i mean it'll be february march next year which is quite warm but i believe it'll just it'll just eventually be into the winter months i mean they'll be professional footballers they'll be paid accordingly some of them will have to relocate look there's a lot to do now with the announcement today but the hard work now starts 
Well, we look forward to uh, in, into the coming months and thank you for all your support over Women's Footy over the years. Well, I have to say too, just before I go, that I'm so proud of the Western Bulldogs because we did lead the way with Melbourne and very proud of my team and I'm so happy we've got a licence too. You're listening to the girlsplayfooty.com podcast and some of the interviews conducted by Katie Lambeski at the MCG after the winning teams were announced. Coming up soon, Katie catches up with Sam Lane from the Age and Channel 7. But first of all, she spoke with Michelle Cowan, the coach of the Melbourne Demons women's side, who, while when she's in the chair coaching, she, she hasn't been beaten. We won't count that one against the Bulldogs in March. She wasn't head coach for that particular game. But in every other match, hasn't been beaten. In fact, helped the WA Youth Girls win their first ever title a couple of years ago. And last year, helped the WA State women's side beat Victoria for the first time ever. An impressive record, and she's going to be a big part of the Women's National League next year. Here was Katie's chat with Michelle. Firstly, I look back on this day in 2013, and obviously being in this room, and the draft first happening then, and did you ever think we'd get to this day so quickly now, here in 2016, and are you you surprised how quick it's all happened? Oh, not surprised it certainly happened, but, um, you know, very happy that it's had the leadership in Gillan McLaughlin really driving it and being really strong in you know the, where he sees women and how how they're involved in the game so yeah, I think that's an amazing leadership that he's shown and, and now it just feels right. Now, you talk about the leadership and obviously over the last few months there's been all these clubs coming out saying we want licences and 13 clubs really chased licences hard. Um, has that, do you see that as the major driving force behind the world this day? Yeah, I think it's great to see, you know, I think nearly all 18 really express the interest, but some probably weren't ready to have it. But um, for the eight clubs, the ultimate dream is that we have 18 clubs running around. But let's start really well. Uh, Let's get the competition up and running and we can build it from there. Yeah, a lot of the talk centred around six teams or ten teams. They've obviously gone to the medium, they've gone to eight. Um, Do you think that is the right choice? Yeah, absolutely. I think the AFL's got it right here and, and they'll do everything they can to make it a success. We know that so um, really exciting time for young girls and even the girls that are currently playing at the moment they get to live their dreams that they've always had and it's taken a while we're we're 100 years down the track but we're here. Uh, Obviously playing in the summer months is that a a concern over like sort of health how do how are the players going to cope with that do you think? Yeah, we'll just um, need to, obviously being a winter sport, playing more in the, in the summer, we'll have its challenges. But yeah, we'll just um, do what we can with it, make the modifications and get the right people on board that can pull our program together. Uh, with that being said, do you think an emphasis should be on night games in the, in the summer months? Yeah, probably twilight games will be yeah. uh, a little bit better. We want to get people to watch these games as well, so that'll be really important. And um, yeah, certainly now we can really start putting things down on paper and, and getting into the nitty-gritty and how things are going to look. Sure, obviously being with Melbourne since the start, since 2013, um, how, 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 how do you feel being here on this day, being part of Melbourne and obviously being the first, like, getting the licence today? Yeah, just a remarkable feeling today. Quite emotional, actually, <laughs> but uh, some amazing work that Melbourne have put in and, and all the other clubs as well, so... Um, probably take off your club hat and just sit back and actually 
realise what today actually means and, and what it means for the hundreds of thousands of girls that are playing football. Yeah, well, with many of the, com- the state competitions ending at about September time, and obviously the tournament starting in February, um, do you f- is it hard for a coach? Are you happy that you've got that you're going to have players in very good shape by the end of? The, they, there are no need for huge pre-seasons. They'll be very fit shape as it is. How does that? What does that uh, mean for you? Yeah, we need to manage that as well. They've had it coming off a bit of a season and making sure that you know we can freshen them up and get ready to go for the season. No doubt they're going to be really keen and eager, but we need to make sure we manage that eager and um, it can result in injuries, but we don't want to do that. Uh, congratulations, Sam. Thanks for the time. Great. Girls Play Footy Radio, Kay Lambeski live here at the G. I'm here with Sam Lane and just to... Firstly, Sam, what a day this is. Um, looking back on it now from 2013 when the draft was first held and now we're here in 2016 and it's just gotten to this point. Uh, are you surprised by how quick this has all happened? Uh, not surprised because when the AFL gets behind something and decides it want to do, wants to do it, it makes things happen. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I'm standing here just thinking there are 1,000 stories I could write and I don't know which one to do. <laughs> Um, he, uh, a lot of the talk in the mass has been between is it six teams, is it eight teams, is it ten teams we've heard talk of that, uh, they've decided on eight uh, do you think that's the right call? I feel like eight was the middle ground and yeah. so I'm not unhappy with that six would have been conservative although the players themselves said that six would be a good idea uh, I think they were probably just hoping and wanting it to be the best and strongest bunch of talent um, ten arguably would have been a bit too thin so hmm, if we're looking for middle ground eight's the right way to way to bounce and a lot of people in the game are saying we've listened to the experts um maybe the players were too conservative when they said six um obviously uh in the summer months it's just it might be a bit of a challenge for the players how do you see how do you see it happening should the focus be on twilight games night games i think that's what we'll see i know richmond and even though they've been unsuccessful in their submission had an idea that they wanted to play the season opener for the women's league against collingwood as a twilight australia day clash um i think we will see twilight games the afl is not going to put teams of women out in 40 degree heat uh that would just be ridiculous um we we see that in other sports that there are contingency plans i think they'll be very astute about timing all of that um but these are all the things like uniforms like pay that are going to unfold now uh, how how big an influence were the clubs? And obviously, in the last few months, we've seen a lot of clubs come out saying we want a women's team. Mm. How big a, how big an influence were they in getting to this point? Yeah, I think uh, it was interesting monitoring how clubs were being really proactive or perhaps a bit more quiet. Melbourne and the Bulldogs didn't really need to be pushing the envelope so much because they were so well poised. The surprise for me out of the mix today is Carlton. Um, I. I to be honest, if I was picking, I, I wouldn't have had them in the the top mix, but I am told that their submission was absolutely outstanding, uh, covered all bases, and again, I trust the people that have assessed these things, and um, that's why they've landed. And I'm really pleased that they've announced today that provisional licences go to uh, the teams that have been unsuccessful first time round. I'm just... Just talking about Carlton, do you think the Collingwood rivalry was a big factor in them getting the licence? Uh, I think that the uh, Collingwood-Richmond rivalry would have been as good. Yeah? Yeah. Um, but what about the teams from like Hawthorne and St Kilda having those, mm. uh, obviously those out-east out mm. east teams? Do you, uh, 
Are they a bit stiff to miss out, do you think? Well, Hawthorne didn't apply. Hawthorne didn't apply? Yeah, St Kilda did. Um, they will get there in time. Like that's, I guess that's one thing we all take out of today, that, uh, yes, today there's eight. There might be ten next year, you know, yeah. the year after. I mean, season two. It's just going to grow and grow. Yeah, I think a major thing to come out of today was that there is room to grow. Um, how how quick do you see that happening? Or sky's yeah. the limit. I think um, it will rely on teams being ready, there being talent, and I think that we'll find both of those things occur. And that concludes Katie Lembeski's interviews at the MCG. Once again, another fantastic job done by the GirlsPlayFooty.com co-founder. Now, one thing that we wanted to get was some different reaction that we've already been hearing, uh, not only from the players and coaches, etc., and presidents of clubs that are involved in the process, but those outside the bubble. In a moment's time, uh, you'll be hearing from uh, the USAFL and AFL Europe about what it means for women's football overseas. But also here in Australia, of course, here on girlsplayfooty.com, we talk a lot with the administrators of the leagues. We talk a lot with the players and volunteers, etc. We're in our own little bubble. So what about those outside the bubble looking in that are really keen and eager about women's footy. And that's why we have on the line Emma Race from the Outer Sanctum podcast to uh, obviously look at both men's and women's footy. And they've been keeping a track as well of this process leading up to the awarding of the eight women's licences. Now, Emma, is it true to say the best way to introduce your podcast is two fans, an author, a poet, a broadcaster and a lawyer who walked into a podcast? <laughs> Something like that. We like to say six very passionate female footy fans. Uh, it gets to be a bit of a mouthful, but mostly it's actually just six Hawthorne supporters who are crazy about football, who we're spending so much time talking about it, we thought we may as well press record and see what would happen. We try to shelve our Hawthorne bias as much as we can, but it's such an exciting time at the moment for women and for the game that um, it's somehow this podcast has found it's found its audience and it's it's got... Um, it's got a bit of a following. We're enjoying doing it. And uh, if you promise to leave aside your Hawthorne bias, I promise not to talk about the 84 and 85 grand finals. <laughs> Look, We're revealing too much about ourselves, it, aren't we? Exactly, exactly. Um, as we move along to today's announcement, leading up to it, obviously you had on your podcast a few weeks ago and uh, you were looking at the bids. You were going into quite some detail. And on the most recent podcast, in fact, you caught up with Meg Hutchins at the Collingwood Football Club. Has today panned out as you expected with the eight clubs being awarded their licences? Look, there was some surprises for us, I think. Um, when we caught up with... Um, we actually spoke to Josh Vandaloo, who was the, who is the head of female footy at the AFL. He works, obviously, closely with Simon and Slane. But um, they were receiving the pictures, and, um, and we did talk to him a little bit about what he was expecting. And I, I think a lot of the bids... I think the bids were all quite different, and I think all of the clubs um, were kind of relishing their opportunity to show what differences they had that they could bring to the table. Um, the biggest surprise for us today, I think, was North Melbourne. We spoke to Bridget Barker at the Huddle, which is a part of um, North Melbourne Footy Club, um, a couple of weeks ago, and um, we were pretty impressed, actually, with their um, support of women and diversity and their kind of um, community outreach programs, and so I thought they would have had a really strong um supporter base and also a really strong um, kind of historical um, su- 
support of women's footy and um, Bridget also works closely with the Melbourne Uni um, women's under-18s club. So there's a really strong lineage there and so I was really surprised to not see North Melbourne get um, get appointed a licence and I think, I guess um, we were all a little bit surprised that Carlton got one to be, to be honest. I guess looking at it, I think that they had some sponsors attached which I think is really helpful and um, I think also that Northern Corridor which I think a few people have been talking about today has probably been a big one as well. I don't think anyone was surprised about um, Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs and North should they be because they've got a beautiful history of really supporting female footy and um, after speaking to, we spoke to Susan Alberti one episode and Katie Brennan as well a little while ago and um, they are both amazing women who have been working really hard within the Western Bulldogs for a really long time so I was pleased to see them get um, get some support today. The other one that surprised me was Collingwood I have to say and I think when they announced Meg Hutchins coming on board which um, if you've listened to our podcast was actually kind of um, an event all her own doing. She sent an email to Gary Pert saying I've got a lot of experience and do you need some help? And she was really just, she's a Collingwood fan, but she's also one of the most exceptional female footy talents going around. And and they were smart enough to, to grab her. And I think when you've got Meg Hutchins and you've got a fan base like Collingwood, it probably was a no-brainer. I think it's difficult for the AFL to want to do anything that's going to be successful without having that massive brand um, attached. So, you know, I can see why those teams got the licences. I think the interstate teams, um, I think that was all, um, I mean, it's fantastic that they're, that they're, that they've all been given their licences too. I think that's a national competition and they need to be represented. I think they had, um, Brisbane had a really strong support with Taylor Harris. Um, and I think that, um, they've been awarded quite correctly and and I think that they're very fair but I, I think there's a few Melbourne teams that are feeling a little bit sore and sorry today that they didn't get one well, indeed, uh, one of the big uh, upsets as well was Geelong not getting one. It, already online, the Geelong advertiser is up in arms saying they've been slighted another national team after missing out on soccer and cricket. Um, I tell you what, <laughs> they're a very upset folk down there at Sleepy Hollow. I, I, can, I kind of understand that. I mean, it's a pretty big, um, it's a pretty big pull that they have to themselves. And, you know, when you're a, when you're a one-team town, um, that... I mean, it's it's good for morale. Like it's it's good for it's good for business. Um, and I think it would have matched well with I think some of the sponsors of the women's team for Geelong to have to have had a team. The thing that we have to remember, I suppose, is that I think 2018 we're going to see more teams potentially um, allowed in, and it really is going to be a drip-fed kind of process, so that that the talent pool remains um, topped up, and so that you know. The changes that we see from the top down are now going to represent the same changes that we've been seeing from the bottom up. So um, hopefully 2018-19 we start to see some other licences um, handed out. So I think for Geelong and North and St Kilda and Richmond it shouldn't be too long. Um, my own team Hawthorne didn't submit a, a, an application or a licence so I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen with them but for now I have to choose a team. <laughs> well that will be one of the tricky things and it's been a comment on some of the forums of uh, obviously if, if people are going to support women's football or not if they if they're not obviously uh, got a side in the competition. It's a really funny one, isn't it? Because yeah. you, you're so connected to your team. And, I mean, I was willing, Hawthorne, to put in an application just because I didn't want to have to make a tough decision.
um, my husband, who's a Carlton man, is going to kill me when I say this, but I'm so impressed by the Western Bulldogs um, across their men's and women's team that I'd be hard-pressed to go past them and support them, I think. And um, I've got three little girls, so... I'll be buying merchandise of a different colour, which, thankfully, when you're talking about brown and yellow, might give me a reprieve. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emma, we thank you very much for your time for joining us here on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. And before we go, once again, where can people catch the Outer Sanctum? You can grab it off iTunes or SoundCloud, but all the details are on outersanctum.com.au. Thanks so much for having me. An absolute pleasure to have Emma Race from the Outer Sanctum podcast here on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Now heading overseas to get the reaction of the eight successful bidders for an AFL women's licence. We're going to first speak with the media man from the USAFL over there in North America, Brian Barish. Uh, Brian, first of all, what's your initial reaction to these uh, eight teams being awarded an AFL women's licence? Well, the fact that uh, I'm, uh, I work very closely with the women that play here in the USAFL, obviously it was a special day. Uh, a special announcement. Uh, the feeling here is one of optimism, especially for the nearly 200 women who play the game here in the U.S. Um, and, you know, we have the 10 clubs, and that number is growing as well. So I think, obviously, there's excitement because a lot of the women, there's that connection, that the fact that these are women players who get this opportunity. And, of course, you know, you, you've been following the story of Katie Klatt and Kim Hemingway. There's that uh, uh, path, if you will, to the fact that American women may actually have a chance to play in this league. So uh, a great day with, uh, you know, a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation for the beginning of the league next year. Uh, obviously, uh, your friends on social media with the number of the players that uh, take part in the USAFL, um, what was some of the instant reaction when the announcement was made? Uh, I generally a lot of excitement, especially I know Kim Hemingway because uh, uh, how excited she is and how well she did over there. Um, I, I think especially Collingwood because, as you know, the New York Magpies have a pretty close uh, relationship with uh, Collingwood. Uh, Grace Castillas, who is the uh, women's coordinator, she was over there uh, two years ago. Uh, at the Collingwood headquarters and, and uh, the Magpies did a really nice thing on her and, and her husband, Mike Murphy. Um, as, as I said, the Magpies have always had a good relationship with the New York club. Um, I know Katie was pretty excited about it. And also a lot of the women around the league and really anybody that had any sort of connection with American footy, uh, just really excited and, and really, really, you know, It'll be neat to see what happens next year. It'll also be neat to see how many more women we can possibly get into that program so where they can maybe be taken in the draft either next year or beyond. Uh, I guess the key question is, what happens from now? Uh, we know of one thing, that uh, Katie Klatt has got her visa, and I believe in July she's headed for Australia. Yes, that's true. She is actually going to be... Uh, Playing a couple more games, she, she played this past weekend. Uh, Sacramento had a tournament uh, where they hosted San Francisco and Denver, and uh, she's going to be participating in next month's Western Regional Tournament up in Salem, Oregon. Uh, the goal of that, obviously, is to get more games in before she goes over there, but also 
uh, to make sure she's eligible to come back in October to play for Sacramento in the national championship. Uh, yeah, so she's, I know she's heading over there. She's going to be playing with Melbourne University. And I think she has a, as I guess you're probably a red hot crack at it. Uh, because I know that she impressed a lot of people in the, in the Sydney game. And yeah, I, I think she still has a, a bright future footy ahead of her. So uh, we'll see what happens. And, of course, the crew at girlsplayfooty.com. Thank you for the big scoop. Katie Clatt to Melbourne University to uh, join the Muggers there, which, of course, have got uh, uh, three teams uh, across separate divisions. Um, you mentioned about the uh, USAFL Nationals. Of course, that's coming up in October. Uh, what is the view from there? Is it hopefully to try and put the feelers out to these eight AFL clubs that have been awarded a licence to see if we can get recruiters from those clubs or one or two recruiters at least to come across to have a look at the Nationals? Well, we usually get in contact with them, to, and, and they usually send an ambassador over just about every year. Um, I know they've sent uh, Paul Roos came over one year. Um, Robert Thompson came over. Uh, we've had Nick Rewolf in the past. Um, I don't know if there's any plans in the works for that. That's definitely something that we would love to see happen, especially with the amount of players. I think there's a handful of players that would, I think, have a good chance of making it and would contribute should they make it to the NFL Women's Cup. Uh, one thing we've seen is we know that the Canadians uh, are starting to come across, some in October, I believe some in January uh, next year. Uh, Canadians have a pretty uh, close t- relationship with the Eastern Devils uh, Football Club in the VFL State Women's League. Is that one thing also to look at uh, going forward to try and develop, uh, at least for the USAFL, some close relationships with some of the State League clubs so some of the players get to come across and try that level of football first and get exposure there? Well, yeah, it's definitely something to look into, and I know that uh, a couple of the clubs here have a good relationship with the uh, with the uh, St. Albans club that came over a couple of years ago. And uh, yes, now so, the VU Western Spurs. Yep. Yep, and and I think that uh, I, I think that that's uh, something definitely worth looking into. Again, it's still in its early stages. But I know Dre Casillas and the rest of the women's uh, association were working hard uh, to get something like that in place. So. Yeah, that that would be good, and obviously it's been a pretty successful program for the Canadians, defending uh, IC champions from a couple of years ago. They have a they have a very strong program, and uh, you know I'm happy for them as well. Uh, I know Kendra Hiles over there, and same thing with Kimi Legault, and uh, I know that uh, our two uh, associations, us and NFL Canada, have a pretty strong relationship. So. Uh, it's good to see them succeed, good to see them get this chance as well. So now let's skip across the Atlantic to Europe and catch up with Sarah Ongarello, who is the Communications, Community and Events Manager at AFL Europe. Sarah, thanks very much for joining us. What's your initial reaction to these eight teams being awarded an AFL Women's Licence? Um, it's all very, very exciting for us over here at AFL Europe. Um, we had our AFL London Women's League startup uh, startup last year, and it's just grown enormously. So it's really exciting to see that it's growing just as fast back in Australia. And how's it been, um, at least the social media vibe over there in Europe, particularly with the AFL London Women's Competition and, and the various clubs you've got, I believe, throughout Sweden, France, etc. Um, how have they reacted to this news? 
Um, really, really positive reactions on social media. Um, it seems that our girls seem to get around the footy um, social media a lot more than the boys. I, I don't know why, but um, yeah, we ha- we announced it sort of a couple of hours after the AFL did and got a really, really positive reaction from our community over here. Our biggest playing group over here is um, in London, but yeah, we definitely have um, quite a few in Scandinavia and Croatia and France and things like that. So yeah, really good, really good vibes for girls over here, which is exciting. And like we asked uh, Brian at the USAFL, what's the next steps here, particularly for the female players that are playing in AFL Europe, whether it be former Australians or, of course, uh, being natives uh, to Europe that have taken up the game? Um, what next steps can they do to try and get from there to one day perhaps playing in this uh, Women's National League? Um, well, it's really exciting for us. We obviously at AFL Europe um, do a, an Irish combine. And so we would love for our next step to have the women be involved in that. Obviously, Gaelic um, transfers quite easily over to Australian football. So that would be one step that we would love to go towards to start getting the Irish girls into a combine um, similar, either you know, run with the men or separately um, and the other thing is is that we do have a lot of girls Australian girls that are over here they'll do two years in the UK they'll find the sport over um, in London or in England of some sort and they're then heading back to Australia out when their visas are finished and jumping into the league over there which is really exciting and of course you've also got coming up uh, in August in London the uh, European Championships is there a hope that perhaps maybe one of the recruiters from those eight clubs will come out or at least um, you'll have videotaped those um, uh, women's matches at the championships and hopefully sent back to Australia and it catches somebody's eye that would be absolutely incredible see we've got our AFL Europe Championships that goes for a week in August so far we have um, GB and Ireland coming to that hopefully we'll have Croatia France and a Scandinavian team of some sort but if not they're going to attend our Euro Cup which is also just Europeans they will will all be filmed so hopefully um, if we can't get anyone out here they um, yeah they might pick up some talent in that otherwise uh, heading to IC17 so hopefully that could be the next step if if not over here in Europe. And just before we let you go, I believe there's already been some talent that's come across and trialled here in Australia. I believe a couple of Irish girls that were playing Gaelic have taken up the game, I think in Adelaide, if I'm right? Yeah, we've had a couple of Irish girls that have headed over, um, whether it's just for the year or two, but yeah, they've started playing over there. We also had one girl, Jess Edwards, who started in the AFL London League, uh, started last year, first time she ever played football. She played Gaelic over here as well, and she actually came in the top five for the South Australian talent search, um, and now has been playing for, hopefully will be playing for the Adelaide team, which is really, really exciting. And I thank Sarah very much for her time. Now, turning away from the Women's National League and the successful bidders to the AFL Canada Nationals that were played a few weeks ago and taken out by Alberta. They were undefeated, even after having to handle a black bear that invaded the pitch. More on that coming up in the interview. But before I introduce this player, I should thank Jen Nichols, who uh, put us uh, onto uh, this uh, next guest. And Jen just simply has the most awesome Twitter handle ever. Super Ninjendo. That is just 
absolutely awesome. She put us on to Hilary Perry, who's played in a couple of international cups for the Canadian side and wants to play in International Cup 2017 next year. She was part of the Alberta team that was undefeated. Uh, Hilary Perry, thank you very much for joining us here on the GirlsPlayFooty.com podcast. And can you explain to all of us, uh, particularly back here in Australia, uh, what's the standard of footy like uh, in the AFL Canada Nationals? Um, right now for the Canadian Nationals, we had four teams that flew over to play, um, and we just combined provincially. So we had uh, multiple teams within one province um, come to tryouts, and then from those tryouts just picked uh, the top 22 to 24 um, players to go um, over to Vancouver to play. Um, and through the last years, it's actually come, become fairly competitive. I mean, there are trials and cuts and all that kind of stuff that girls have to make, so it's something that we do take um, fairly seriously within our own training. And uh, for the Alberta team, as you said, you, you went through and, and were undefeated, which is fantastic to, to hear. How many do you expect from the Alberta side will make up the core of uh, the Northern Lights team for uh, 2017? Oh, man, uh, it's uh, hard to tell right now. But, I mean, uh, as far as uh, Nationals go, we do have a fairly uh, strong side here in Alberta. Um, I think we had uh, on Alberta currently that went to the Nationals, there were probably already about um, eight to ten of us that are on the Alberta team. Um, I, I do think the way that Alberta is going and the way we're training and recruiting, we do have a fairly strong side, so I wouldn't surprise me if we didn't have about ten at least representatives from, from Alberta. And how strong is Alberta football at the moment when it comes to women's competitions? What's the makeup of, of the local league? Um, well, right now we have two local teams that um, train and play together, so um, during the season we'll, we'll all kind of train together and practice, and then we'll divide for competitions into two separate teams, um, which will then compete against each other for our own kind of local local cup. We've been doing um, what we can to try and recruit, to try and expand that into a third team, um, but currently right now we have about two, give or take, usually between 12 to 18 girls per side. And did I uh, read correctly online? There's something called Cosball or something like that. Is like a, a an indoor version of footy you've got going on there. Um, I'm not. I'm not too sure about uh, Cosball. I haven't been too um, familiar with that. I know we do run some indoor training sessions, with some indoor intro to footy sessions um, that we've been trying to run, and we do it off season, obviously, um, when we can't really get out into uh, the outdoors with all the snow. Um, but we will go to indoor indoor tracks and try and run what we can um, run as far as a different version of footy to accommodate indoor settings. One thing that we did spot at the, at the Canadian Nationals, obviously, with the photos uh, from the day, was something interesting, which, let's be honest, in Australia, the, the worst you might expect is the odd stray dog to run across the ground that got off, or got off the leash. You had a black bear that came across the ground. What on earth happened there? We're in Vancouver, in the Rocky Mountains, so it's a little bit of wildness is expected. But I have to say for myself as well, uh, even being a Canadian, that was fairly surprising. Um, I think at first some people might have thought it was a fairly big dog, and then right away realized it was, uh, in fact, a black bear. So we, we just stopped the match quickly and got everyone off the field and tried to blow a few horns and scare the guy off. But he was fairly uh, un, unmotivated to move very quickly. <laughs> so we just kind of kept our distance, and he moved on into the mountains. And then, yeah, we just... Uh, start up our game after that. <laughs> <laughs> it's something you don't see every day. Um, let's talk about your own personal no, footy, no, no. your own personal uh, career. I believe you took up a variety of sports, athletics, swimming, basketball, before you made the switch to Aussie rules. 
Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was a competitive swimmer for most of my life. I did that for 11 years, um, and I compete, competed nationally and internationally in that as well. Um, and I did a little bit of, of basketball into college, um, and then, of course, like some volleyball and track and that kind of stuff um, here and there. But I found after playing such an ind- or doing such an individual sport, such as soccer, I mean, swimming, that I uh, wanted to try something that was outdoors, a little bit more interactive with people. Um, and I never really tried the uh, the contact side, where I just had to get my own personal lane. Um, so I thought I'd give that a crack, and that was probably the most intimidating thing to try and come over was that fact of actually laying that first hit. Um, but I think as soon as I did it, I realized, yeah, this is, this is what I wanted to do. For you, how did you actually find about Aussie Rules? Who introduced you to the game? Um, it was actually a couple of Australian friends that I met in Edmonton going to school. And I guess that's just kind of the thing that they do is that they go to New City and they bring their sport wherever they go. And so it was just through kind of conversations and a couple of people suggested that I come out and give it a try. And they were just trying to start up the program in Edmonton, actually. Um, so I kind of, I, I watched a little bit and saw some of it the first year and then I uh, kind of got my head around what the game was all about. And so the second year it actually started in Edmonton, I decided I'd give it a, a try. Um, and so it was just through the encouragement of a couple of Australian guys showing me a new sport and I I loved it right away just being able to be outside and run around and um, well just be around a bunch of good people so it's a pretty pretty fun welcoming environment for sure and of course you got to represent Canada at the 2011 and 2014 International Cups the 2014 side winning the title against Ireland what did you notice personally the difference in preparation between 2011 to 2014 that helped you go the extra yard to take out the title Oh, it's, uh, it's nothing like getting uh, getting beat to really motivate some people. Um, but I think after that first introduction, a lot of people went to Australia not really knowing the competitiveness um, and the full nature of the sport. And as soon as we got to Australia and got to see how um, incredibly loved this sport is, it really kind of lit a fire for a lot of people. Um, and just kind of sparked us to be like, no, we, we really enjoy what we're doing. We can do this a lot better. So we just threw a little bit of organization, um, some great leadership through the top, through coaches, um, managers, lots of fundraising. Um, we just kind of became a little bit more well-oiled um, and organized as far as uh, like being a little bit more professional goes. Um, I think it was a lot to do with the fact of coming away from Australia defeated and wanting to make sure that we were fully physically, mentally um, prepared to kind of face Ireland again um, and give them a, a better crack at, at the final. So I think um, with a little bit of you know organization and support coach-wise um, and having a better understanding of what the sport's all about, uh, it was a great recipe for us to kind of put it all together in uh, IC14. And how hard is it to try and as, uh, keep your head when you come to Melbourne for the very first time? And no doubt you'll have that every every International Cup. New players that come to it, you know, they're overawed by the experience that this is a footy capital. How hard is it to make sure that you are focused and, you know, the tourist kind of is at the back of the mind and you're now focused in on game and, and executing what you have to do? Right, yeah. Well, I mean... It is, it is great to be like in a new country and, and to walk into Melbourne. I think the fact that Melbourne's so surrounded by footy, that really kept us focused because there's, there's so many games. If you go watch, a lot of people we could meet and talk to. So when you see it live and you see it done professionally, all that does is kind of get you a little bit more jacked, a little more excited to, to play and compete. So for myself personally, I found that as soon as I got there, um, that idea that I could be involved in this sport at, at a high level was astonishing to me like I just you never really believe that you could represent your country so fully 
um, in a new sport. And I think that is what really got the girls going, like just seeing that that love for the sport within the city. Um, and it was just, again, having that great direction from our coach, having um, well-organized schedules and that kind of stuff that allowed us to experience what it kind of is like to be like a semi-professional. We got to sleep, eat, breathe uh, footy, and you don't get that opportunity very often. So I think every girl was just trying to grab as much as they could the entire time. It's pretty incredible. Now, the International Cup 2017 in August in Melbourne is something like 14, 15 months away. And already many of the national uh, squads are already starting to train and prepare. I mean, we already hear over in Great Britain, they're already starting to train together as a unit, With the, as I said, being 14 months out. I believe that's the same that's happening in Canada. You've got some squads or some trainings going as you start to build up. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've been talking about IC17 since IC14 finished. Um, like, this Canadian Nationals was just one extra step we added in to make sure that we had an opportunity to come together as a country. And, I mean, we got to see a lot of amazing talent in our at our Nationals um, and just kind of see, like, how it's growing, all these new faces, all these new people. And so adding that into our program, as well as um, trying to run some provincially organized camps throughout the off season and we'll have a few throughout this uh, the summer as well um gives us that great opportunity to make sure that we're constantly seeing our teammates um making sure that we are aware of who they are and we're getting better at communicating and, and meshing as a team um and we know and we have uh, a little get together and kind of training camp at the um end of august beginning of september where we'll be able to come together as a full um full team and and and, and more as well just to try and see like what talent's has been growing throughout the summer um, and, and trying to make sure that we are keeping in touch and fresh and, and aware of, of who our teammates could possibly be. I mean, it's, it's something that you can't just pick up a few months before. you gotta got to have the mindset and the preparation and the organization um, plenty in advance, and, and that's what we're trying to make sure that we keep going throughout the next uh, yeah, 14 months. And to continue to help warm up, I believe some Canadians actually come down to the USA um, in October to take part in the Nationals as part of some combined sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. USA puts in there on their Nationals um, every October, and so that's been something that um, a lot of Canadian teams have been a part of for for many years um, in the last little while. Um, and I think just IC has increased that popularity because we just want to get every chance we can um, to play competitively find new, uh, new competition um, and just to kind of get international whenever you can just because the level of footy increases every single time you do that. Um, so we have a lot of girls that are prepping and, and excited for October coming up um, for that uh, nationals as well so we can kind of get in touch with the, the Americans and see how they're doing and, and touch into that uncompetitiveness as well. And, of course, a few Canadians have already based themselves uh, over here in Australia at various times. Obviously, Amy Legault uh, uh, from Quebec came over at one stage. Uh, Kendra Heil is currently out here from Hamilton. Uh, I think it's Callum McKenzie from British Columbia is out here at the moment. And I had a chat with Jason Arnold, and he believes there might be some more arriving, a couple arriving in October and some in January to not only prepare for IC17, some do want to have a a crack at the draft for the AFL National Women's League. Um, For you personally, do you know many in Alberta that are thinking thinking about making the move across, even if it's for a season? Um, in Alberta, I don't know if there, if there are too many that are thinking of doing it. I do know a few of girls um, across the country that are thinking about it. I mean, if the opportunity comes up and, and it works out with people's schedule, it's, it's almost like a, a lifetime experience, right? It's something you have to try and, and grab onto. I mean, it was definitely a thought that I kind of went, that went through my mind a few times. 
um, just to have that opportunity to, to play so um, thoroughly in the sport and immerse yourself within the country of it. Um, I know Alberta right now. I don't. I don't think there are any that have fully dedicated themselves yet. But there is always that that buzz and that talk about being able to travel over to Australia, spend a year there, and actually get into the the full fledged um, experience of of being a footy player in Australia because it, it would just be un, uncomparable for sure. And, of course, we hear about in the USA where they've had, at least all the men, they've had the draft combine where they've been trying to find college athletes, turn to Aussie rules footballers. We've seen the success story of Mason Cox at the moment at Collingwood. Um, and considering, obviously, you're a director as well with uh, AFL Canada, has there been talk along the lines of that to see if they can, now with the new Women's National League, to try and get a female version up to hopefully uh, be able to get one across to make it in the National League? Um, I, I know that would definitely be a goal, especially of Jason Arnold. Like he's he's very passionate about always trying to challenge and, and move things forward in, in Canada. Um, very much trying to get girls involved to whatever level they're wishing to be involved in. Um, I do. I think right now because it's such a new sport here in Canada, um, and it's not like it is physical, which sometimes can um, have some girls think twice about joining in. It is something that would probably take a little bit more time here in Canada for us to. Um, be able to run something like they do run in the United States for the men. Uh, but something like that would definitely not be off the table at all, especially for someone like Jason who really wants to make sure that the sport thrives within within the country. And finally, before we let you go, of course, we obviously talk a lot about how the, the playing style is over in Canada and how the numbers are developing. But one thing we don't really talk about that much is stuff like um, admin and umpiring. How are you finding it, uh, getting enough volunteers to obviously be, be able to, A, run a club or a team and then run a league? And how do you find it also, also trying to find umpires? And we're talking, obviously, a field umpire, boundary umpires, goal umpires. Right, yeah, and I mean, we've been very fortunate that uh, the culture in in Calgary and in Alberta, actually, um, and I guess all through all through Canada, that um, the Aussies are very dedicated to their sports. We're very very fortunate to have some very dedicated um, umpires that come to all of our games, and I mean, we've even had a few that have been willing to run clinics, so ourselves as Canadians can start to learn the sport a little bit better, um, and then maybe one day step into those shoes that might be might be open when those people have to um, leave their positions. Um, but it is something, again, it's that thought of trying to make sure that the sport lasts and thrives and grows where you have to start thinking about how do we incorporate um, Canadians into these into these spots, right? Because right now they're very much filled with Australians. Um, and I think that's just a knowledge thing. Like we're always trying to push our girls to make sure that they know the sport really well and to, to be able to ask or teach or coach um, upcoming girls as well just to build that experience. Um, but again, right now we're very fortunate to have some dedicated um, Australians that love to love the sport and they love to teach, right? And I mean, when we start growing that more into a Canadian culture, we might have a little bit more consistency as far as coaches because that can be a struggle. People will, they come and go and they're traveling and that kind of stuff. But um, again, that's just another step forward we're going to have to look into and in, in trying to instill it within Canadians so we can sustain it um, ourselves as well and to ensure that growth. Well, Hilary, thank you very much for joining us here on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. We wish you all the very best throughout the remainder of the 2016 season. And, of course, for you personally as you prepare for IC17 next year and looking for the Canadians to go back-to-back. Yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time and, and questions. And, yeah, Canada's very excited for the upcoming IC. Um, and we're going to see uh, a very different, I'm sure, highly competitive um, play out there this time. So it's going to be really exciting.
Thank you. And I thank Hillary very much for her time. And I thank you as well for sticking around and listening to this girlsplayfooty.com podcast. It's been a long and massive edition because of that fantastic news of the Women's National League kicking off in 2017 and those eight lucky clubs, the Brisbane Lions, Adelaide Crows, GWS Giants, Frio Dockers, Collingwood Magpies, Carlton Blues, Melbourne Demons and the Western Bulldogs. Before I go, a quick plug for our match of the day coverage. Sunday, 1.30pm via girlsplayfooty.com. We are bringing you the fifth versus fourth battle in the VFL women's competition Diamond Creek versus the Eastern Devils from CT Barling Reserve and Reservoir. It is going to be a cracker. Join us 1.30 Sunday. Thanks again for all your company and thanks very much to all the volunteers of female footy that behind the scenes have helped make uh, Wednesday, June 15th possible when those eight clubs were announced. We look forward to your company again soon on the podcast. Remember to keep an eye on girlsplayfooty.com over the coming weeks for more and more information about the uh, competition, plus our thoughts and analysis on some of the top players around the country. Until then, it's bye for now.